Oh, well, I want to start off tonight sharing some really good news and just honestly, I'm just so proud of you guys here at NOYA. This, uh, at the end, the whole month of October, we were talking about how um, we're going to do this trip to Peru and it's only going to be with this group. And so we were asking you guys to consider, you know, signing up to go on this trip. And uh, you guys responded and stepped out in faith, super excited to announce we filled up the capacity. They had to like cap it off. And if you still want to go, you can be on the wait list in case someone can't make it. Um, but I just want to tell you guys, that's, um, that's something we, I'm really proud of because when there's an opportunity to serve, you guys are saying, we're going to serve. And that's in the heartbeat of this group is not just what is God doing on Tuesday night, but what's he doing in us that we can bless the world with? And that's what this trip is all about. And I'll tell you, for those of you who are going to end up going on this trip, um, there's never been a trip I've gone on where I invite God to use me and to help me bless others where I don't come back just super blessed myself. Um, it will change your life. So I'm super excited for those of you going on that trip, but just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for stepping out in faith, and it's going to be worth it for sure. <clears throat> you know, one of, the, one of the cool parts about being a pastor is often I get asked uh, to pray for people and whether that's here on a Tuesday night or um, our church has a pastor on call and so they make sure someone's always available so that if someone calls the church or walks into the church, there's a pastor who can pray with them. And it's been just so cool that like um, I, I get these opportunities to pray with people and honestly, I find myself praying the same uh, topic over them often, which is what we're going to be talking about here tonight, because they'll share just what's going on in their life and why they're asking for prayer and then I find myself always just praying, God, would you, would you bring peace into their life? God, would you bring your peace, not just any old peace, like your peace, the real kind of peace. And, you know, often we think of peace as just being the opposite of war, right? Because there's times of peace, then there's times of, times of war. And uh, that's why I think a lot of us think of peace as simply um, the absence of conflict or the absence of problems. If I don't have problems then I have peace in my life. But I, I want to suggest to you guys that peace is a bit bigger than that. Um, it's, a, it's a bit deeper than that. Of course, it can include that, the fact that you have resolved some conflict. That can bring peace into your life. But uh, I do think it's a bit bigger than just the absence of conflict. I would describe it as peace is really the process of entering into wholeness, entering into wholeness or returning to that balanced state really with yourself, with others, and most importantly, with God. And you're entering into wholeness, where things are not whole, they're partial, they're broken, they're fractured. Peace is actually entering into the wholeness, and ultimately um, with God, because peace, once you enter into wholeness, then that's what makes room for what we all desperately want, which is rest. We want a space where I can feel like I'm not being yelled at all the time or things are being demanded of me nonstop. And that's what peace gives you. It gives you the space where your soul can find rest. And, and every single person um, that I encounter where they're asking for prayer, I feel like that's what I'm asking, that they would enter into that wholeness. And the important part about peace is that it's not only found on the other side of the thing you're going through. The, the thing about peace is it's available to you in the thing you're going through. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, it's not just the outcome, it's also in the process. And in John chapter 14, Jesus getting towards the end of his ministry with his disciples, and, uh, and he says this verse, 
he says, I, I, peace I leave with you. Then he clarifies, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. But then this is what's so fascinating to me is he really brings it close into what it means to be in wholeness, entering into wholeness. He says, my peace I give you. He's, he's inviting you into entering into the wholeness of what it means to be in Jesus and all the broken things that we bring to him. And he, what he does is he makes us whole. And when you enter into that wholeness with Jesus, you will find rest. That's the ultimate place where you will find rest. And that's his invitation for us. That's why I'm calling this message, Finding Peace. Because we're all looking to and fro, where can I find maybe, yes, the end to this conflict or the end to the noise, the end to the volume, and how can I find peace? And, and we want to enter into the wholeness of Jesus and find rest. And I hope we can find some of that even here tonight. That's my prayer. And let me just pray for that. Father, I, I pray for those um, who sense that life is just a bit chaotic, that they are either witnesses or participants in things that are just broken, and we know this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would call all those things toward yourself and that we would get to experience wholeness in you. It's such an amazing thing that we don't have to earn your love and that we can enter into a space where we know we're loved by you, not because we earned it or deserved it, but because you chose to love us. And so we, um, we want to align ourselves with your word Again, not to uh, earn your love, but rather to be in the space where you can bless and you can speak life. And, and it's all for our good. We believe that in faith. What you put here in the book of James, it's for our good. And so, Lord, we want to align ourselves with that. I pray that you would speak tonight and that it, through my weakness, God, that you would show yourself to be strong. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in the last part of James chapter 3. And in this passage, James talks about two different kinds of wisdom, and there's a kind that God gives, but there's also a type that you can find on your own or you can find from someone else. Um, when we've talked about wisdom a lot in this book, and wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge that you have in a skillful way. So you might know a lot of things, but how, what you do with that knowledge is, is wisdom. And, and if we're saying it's wisdom from God, then it, we're saying it's a skillfulness that only he can give you to do the things that you need to do in life. You might know some of the right things, but are you doing the right thing? And that's, that's where wisdom shows up. And there's a God way of doing things, and there's a non-God way of doing things. And you, everyone in this room, you have the option of choosing your path. You can choose to do the things that God, way, God says we should do, or you can also choose to do it your way, or the way someone else told you you should live. And, um, and that's the two kinds of wisdom that James is presenting. And We'll read here in the NIV, that version of the Bible, and they'll actually put quotes around the word wisdom when we're talking about the worldly kind of wisdom, because it's, it's kind of a play on words, what he's saying. Really, worldly wisdom isn't wisdom. Um, it's just, he's just using that as a tool to, to, to compare and contrast it from true wisdom, which is God's wisdom. Worldly wisdom is the same thing as saying foolishness. Um, that's why it's wisdom with quotes on, and that's what you're going to see here. But he starts in verse 13, talking about um, the first thing we're going to uh, address is the non-God way of doing things. So this is James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes 
from wisdom. Okay, again, it's in action. Wisdom comes in action. It's the skillfulness of how you live life. But, this is verse 14, but, everybody say but. That's the most junior high thing I did all day, right? Um, But, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, with quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find, again, tonight we're talking about finding peace. Here's the opposite of finding peace. You will find disorder and every evil practice. You will find the brokenness, not wholeness. You will find the fractured, not the healed. That's what you're going to find. It's the opposite. So he's presenting in the negative, and then we're going to end the passage with in the positive. What is the, the thing we're going to find? How do we find peace? You're going to find disorder and every evil thing. Now, when he describes this worldly wisdom, he uses three terms. You saw them there in the passage. He says that it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And um, the way you can understand these words is that they're words of contrast. Okay, so it's not a scientific presentation of what worldly wisdom is. It's actually saying worldly wisdom is the opposite of what he's going to get to, which is godly wisdom, the real wisdom, the wisdom from above. So he uses the term earthly. What is he saying? The wisdom from God is from heaven, referring to its source. Where does this wisdom come from? So if it's not from heaven, then it's the opposite. It's earth. It's, it's on earth. And that's how he would have understood it writing this book, the, the writer of the book of James. So he's saying the source of this wisdom is not from God, therefore it's man-made. It's either you or you heard it from someone else. That's not the wisdom we're talking about. We're talking about wisdom that comes directly from the source of God himself. Then he says it's unspiritual. Worldly wisdom only exists and addresses the things you can see with these eyes. It's in the natural realm. It, it literally doesn't give you any guidance into the things beyond just what you experience in the natural sense. Whereas godly wisdom gives you insight into the spiritual realm, into the things that are affecting your soul, the things that no doctor can talk to you about because they're inside of your soul. And, and that's what uh, godly wisdom is going to speak to. Last word he uses is demonic. And it's a lot like what we talked about last week. If you remember when we were talking about how our words, when we use them for evil things, um, it's like a fire. And then the passage says that's set, that set ablaze by hell itself. And the idea, again, he's using the term hell and demonic as everything that's anti-God, as indicative of anything that's anti-God. So he's not saying that if you, have, if you ever exercise worldly wisdom, you're demon-possessed. That's not what this passage is getting at at all. It's, it has, it's not really a study on demons in general. It's just saying anything that's anti-God, you're actually aligning yourself with the things that are not for, from God, and instead we need to align ourselves with the things from God. And it's so important that we have to notice that this passage is written to Christians. He's, it's written to Christians. So this isn't one of those things that has to do that Christians experience that others don't. He's saying, he's addressing it as a concern inside the, the body of Christ, inside the church, He's seen these things happen. He's seen people walk in worldly wisdom. And so what he presents to you and me today is he's saying, you have a choice today. And I'm trying to get you away from this and towards this. And when he talks about what he's trying to lead us away from, really there are two things listed in the passage that are kind of the 
the culmination of what it means to walk in worldly wisdom. Two things are, you saw it right there in the passage. First, bitter envy, and then second is going to be selfish ambition. Let's talk about envy for a little bit. Envy is, is one of the sneakiest sins, honestly, because it all happens right inside of here, and I'm not necessarily going to be able to see that in you. Um, and, and this is why it's, it's such poison to your heart. And, and that's why he says that you, they kind of have to take camp in your heart. And that's acting in worldly wisdom because you're not acting the way God wants you to act. You're just accepting that your way is the right way. Envy really comes from the, the dark parts of our own heart. So let me, let me talk to you a little bit about envy and, and what it looks like. There's really two steps or two phases of envy when you, when you really study how it affects your heart. The first step is you... You see something, someone who has something you don't have, and, and you look at that person and you say, I want what that person has. Now, that's, that's not envy if it's just that, because if, if I look at someone and I'm like, oh, they have a cool t-shirt on. I, I want to go buy that t-shirt. Hey, where'd you get that t-shirt? That's not envy. That's just you, you like what they had and you'd like to purchase the same shirt. Envy's, envy's further than that. It's I want what that person has, and I'm going to be discontent until I have it. It's, it's a desire that leads to discontentment, and that's when it becomes envy. And that's where God's saying, that's not, that's not for your good. That's why he puts it on the list of sin. He's saying that, that destroys your heart. That's not good for you. So, so you know, to use my simple analogy of, of a t-shirt, it's, it's I want that t-shirt, and all my other t-shirts are trash until I have that one. That's envy. That's what it shows up like. But <laughs> the bad news is that's only step one. Step two of envy is I want that and I'm going to be discontent, but then it really comes to fruition in, um, well, whether I get that t-shirt or not, I, I really just don't want that person to have that t-shirt anymore. This is what envy does. It's I want something, everything else, I don't have any contentment, I have to have that, it's what's going to give me fulfillment in life, everything else I've ever experienced is nothing to me until I have that, that's envy, but then if you don't get it or if you do get that thing, you're still thinking, well, but I just don't want that person to have it because it looks like it's making them happy and I just don't want them to have it. It's, it's, that's inside of the human nature. Um, like <laughs> if you've ever seen two kindergartners where one has a balloon and is playing with it and having a good time and the other shows up and does what? They just destroy the balloon. And you're like, what? Why would you do such a thing? And that's envy. The, the other child was like, I don't want the balloon. I just don't want that person to enjoy the balloon. <laughs> and that, that's really what's at the root of envy is both those things. It's this discontentment and, and also just not wanting others to enjoy. It. And that's not from God. That's from us. That's from our fallen nature. And a lot of times when we think of envy, we, uh, we automatically think of money and wanting more money and not wanting other people to have more money than us. And of course, that's envy. But Envy creeps into the church in many, many more ways. It, it's, it, it shows up when, when you think things like, um, man, there's, there's someone else who got an opportunity that I didn't get. And, and I, have, I don't even have room in my heart anymore for thankfulness for what I have received from God because I'm staring at something I wanted that I didn't get. And that's discontentment shows up and that's envy. And that's based off an opportunity or or it might show up in, hey, someone just got affirmed in such a positive way, but I'm kind of upset because it wasn't about me. 
it was about someone else and and don't they see all the things that I've done and you know I it should have been me and like it, it's everywhere this is what I'm saying it's the sneaky sin because it can show up in areas you would never expect it to and so you have to be really vigilant with this because as the passage points out envy is bitter it's bitter the peace we're trying to find in God that's sweet it is as sweet as it gets but when you mix the two things together what takes over is a bitter taste. You lose the sweetness of what it means to find wholeness in Jesus and rest in him if envy is there. That's why it's bitter. And it, it just sours your heart. <laughs> That's why we have to be super aware of this. You know, when I was in high school, I, um, I went to a Christian school. And it was like a super small Christian school. <laughs> um, it, like, I mean, like 26 people K through 12. So, like... <laughs> A few people, they were just, they were valedictorian because they were the only person in the class, you know. Um, so like a really small Christian school. But I remember I was in a class of seven, which was like, whoa, we have so many people this year. Um, and uh, so I was, in, I was in high school, and, and every year they would do these character awards where they would identify things in people that was notable or, you know, or godly. And it would just be different character traits. Um, and... Uh, and the way they would do these awards was just like what you'd expect, where they, they start listing things about the person, but you don't know who the person is. And so you're all sitting there like, oh, is it this person or that person? And then it ends with like, and so we give the kindness award to blah, 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 blah you know, whatever. And uh, that's how I heard it normally. Um, and so I would sit there as a teenager, and I, I still remember like the auditorium we would sit in and how they would go through this list. And at this point in my life, I really had such a desperate need for affirmation. And not like the healthy kind where it's like, I just want to know I'm doing a good job. Like everyone wants to know they're doing well at what they're intending to do. This was not that. This was the, the unhealthy version of that where I needed the affirmation because I needed to find my identity in that affirmation. And not, not that it was just like to, to receive a blessing. It was like a really, really big deal to, for me to have that in that season of my life. And I remember they would start listing these things and I would be like, that needs to be me. That needs to be me. That needs to be me. And then they'd say the name of some other person, and then, the, and then everyone's clapping. The person stands up, comes onto the stage, and I'm clapping too because it's wrong to not clap. And, and I remember in my heart being like, I don't want them to get that award. Like, I don't, I, I genuinely don't want them to have that. And, and, and it was a significant moment in my life to, to see that envious side of my heart because here's the good news when God reveals anything dark in your heart that's actually his grace to you um, because once you see it that's the first step of God now working that out of you if you're not even aware of it what like what chance do you have of anything changing and so I remember realizing that's how I viewed these these prizes and and, and it's one of the first times I had a clear word from the Lord in my life where I felt the Lord speak to me, and he said, okay, Eddie, what if instead of wanting that prize that they just gave out, what if instead of wanting the prize, you and I spent some time where I, I could actually give you that attribute? What if instead of, like, the accolade, the version of the thing I wanted, which was the affirmation, what if, like, we threw all that away for a while and just said you actually get to have kindness in your heart? You get, actually get to have peace in your life. And, and from that moment as a teenager, then God took me into what I consider kind of like my quiet years where 
um, I, I, I ended up being like super connected, super involved where I grew up. But then I moved into the years where like no one was talking to me. I was just like another guy, um, just like one, you know, in a sea of many, many people. But in those years, those were the times where God rooted out the envy I had in my heart. And, and I'm standing here in my 30s, guys. And so much of who I am today started then. So I, I share that story to let you know if there's ever times where you experience things like what I just described, praise God you're seeing it, but God can uproot that in you, and it can affect the rest of your life. There, you know, you might feel a little guilt of like, man, maybe I'm, I'm this age and I'm still dealing with envy. Look, praise God you're in your 20s or whatever age you are. You know, there are people who discover these things in their 60s, 70, and that's a really hard thing to discover then, the ways of Jesus. You're here in your 20s, and this is God's grace to you. He's saying, like, here, here's your chance. Let's uproot this now, because worldly wisdom says, yeah, follow the way of bitter envy, and, and, and he has just something so much better for us. And the second thing he says worldly wisdom uh, involves is envy and then selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Now, it's not just ambition by itself that's evil. You have to attach the word selfish for it to make any sense. Don't let anyone tell you that all ambition's wrong. Like, that's not, like, that's not the way of God. Um, uh, it, has to, it has to be that it's selfish ambition that's the problem. Some of us in the room are going to be more driven than others, and that's totally fine. But um, if you're like me, like I consider myself a pretty ambitious person. I like dreaming up things. I like bringing them to reality. I love all the hurdles you have to overcome in order to bring something to reality. Like that's fun for me. I, I really get a lot of excitement out of things like that. The problem is when you use your ambition for your own gain. That the whole reason you have this, you have this power, you have the superpower, your ambition, but the purpose you use it for is for yourself. It's you ultimately saying, I'm in this. <laughs> for me. And the scary part about it is you can do things to serve God and do it for yourself. So to the, to the outside people, they're like, you're doing good things. You're blessing the world. You're sharing the good news of Jesus, whatever, whatever you want, fill in that blank. But you could still be in it for yourself because you found a way, maybe you're, you were like me early on as a teenager, where it's like, I have to have that affirmation. You could be doing good things for God to seek the affirmation of others. And that can't be the number one thing. You have to be using that ambition. Instead of selfish ambition, we should have holy ambition, where it's, it's not, I'm in this for me, it's, I'm in this for God's glory. And, and I, I honestly think that God is just looking from, from city to city, from country to country, looking for people who just understand this very basic principle that all the things you're being called into aren't really about you. They're about him and what he wants to do for his glory. And I just think, how many things is God wanting to do through us, but he can't do it because we're not ready to do it for his glory? If he handed you that opportunity, if he handed you that affirmation, you would receive it for yourself instead of understanding that it's for his glory. This is what the people of Israel understood. If you go to Psalm 115 verse 1, it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, be the glory. They, these are people who God was leading, and, and the people of Israel, they would walk into a battlefield with a sword in their hand, and they would win victories on the battlefield, and they would leave that field saying, but it wasn't us. 
we didn't do this for us. We did this for God's glory because he's the one who led us into battle and he's the one who sustained us in the battle and he's the one who led us to victory. In the same way today, all the things that you and I get to do, not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. You know, some of the, some of the most powerful prayer moments I've had with God involved asking God for something I, was, I thought I had a holy ambition for. God, I'd, I'd love to see this happen in your kingdom. I'd love to see this happen with these people. or these, you know, I'd love to reach these people. All these dreams that I bring to God, but I've prayed at times and I say, God, but if in the end I'm not going to give you the glory, please don't let me be a part of it. And I'd rather miss out on things than get to do things and not give God the glory. Because doing things and just giving myself the glory is selfish ambition. And that's the part that's, that's killing my soul. That's the part that's putting me in a category I, I should not be in. I'm, I'm, I'm in fake wisdom territory when I make things about me. And I don't, wanna be, I don't want you to be in fake wisdom territory. I don't want to be there. I've been there and I don't want us to be there. So that's why we want to step into what God has made for us in the last two verses we're going to see here tonight where he talks about wisdom from above, verses 17 and 18. He says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Here, James is telling us that there's a connection between peace and wisdom. And he's trying to show us the connection. There's a connection between peace and wisdom. The connection in, in fake wisdom, which is foolishness, is that foolishness leads to disorder, is the word he used. Think about it as foolishness leads to chaos. You want to spin your life out of control, just do all the things I just talked about inside of worldly wisdom. That leads to disorder in your life, chaos. But what he presents in regards to wisdom from above is this beautiful word picture in a paragraph where ultimately, to say it simply, he's saying this, wisdom leads to peace, and peace leads to wisdom, and wisdom leads to peace, and peace leads to wisdom. You get to enter into this amazing cycle of having a skillfulness to know how to deal with the choices you have to make in life. And when you do that, the way that God's made you to do it, the way he wants you to do it, then you actually get to enter into wholeness. And you experience what it's like to be in the presence of God, and you rest. And you truly rest. You don't have it all on your shoulders. You feel like, no, I have, a, I have an invitation of partnership with God, but it's not all on me. I'm just one child in his kingdom. And that rest gives you the energy you need to enter back into the decisions you have to make in life, and so on and so forth. That's the beautiful thing about wisdom is it leads you to peace and then peace will lead you back into wisdom. And, and so he gives us this list of six things. But first he says, first of all, wisdom from above is pure. And here's the, here's the point he's making. That word means not tainted. So there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the wisdom that comes from God. His point is there, there's no more... There's no more better. That's a terrible way of speaking. Um, there is no better, better wisdom than the wisdom God gives. So there's, there's no second best when it comes to this. That's, it's, it's, it's in its own category of its own. It's like when you see a, a, a bottle of juice and you're like, oh, it says 100% juice. 
And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know about that. Because the last time I squeezed the grape, like purple didn't come out, you know. It's, I just have my questions in regards to how pure that 100% means to them. And, and so purity here, when it comes to wisdom, he's saying, this is as real as it gets, and there's nothing like it. You will never find anything else, even close, like the wisdom that comes from above. And God's the one who gives it. That's what we talked about in chapter 1. He gives it when we ask in faith. And um, I believe in, in order for some of you to experience peace in your life, you need to come in, in alignment with the things that are listed in this passage. If you can come into alignment with the wisdom from above, maybe that's what will lead you to the peace that you've been seeking. And, and, and how you can enter into finding the peace that we're talking about is really coming in alignment with what it means to have the wisdom from above. So let me just talk you through what these things are. And then we're going to spend some time praying and asking God, what's the next step we're going to take to enter in? And my hope is by tonight, if you just say yes to the Lord and whatever it is that we need to respond, that you'll start experiencing peace. You'll experience, it, it will go from theoretical to experiential. It will go from me saying, hey, it's entering into fullness, and hopefully to, tonight you'll walk out saying, I really get what that means, because <laughs> I experienced rest as I entered into that wholeness. So let's go through these terms. The first one, he says that wisdom from above is peace-loving. Peace-loving is a term that's used to contrast from the opposite, which is the word quarrelsome. Um, someone who's quarrelsome is someone who picks fights. They they enjoy fighting. That's, that's, uh, fighters going to fight. Like they, they are ready to engage anything, one bad look, whatever it takes, I'm ready to fight. That's the quarrelsome. So this is, the idea of a peace-loving person is not, um, it's not a pacifist, just so you know. It, it's, it's not just like, oh, that person loves fights and I love never fighting. I have no conflict. I never address anything. I never have any confrontation. That's not peace-loving. Peace-loving people are willing to enter into conflict. But here's the difference. They enter into conflict for the purpose of bringing something to wholeness, whereas the quarrelsome person enters into conflict to only affirm that they were right. That's the person who's quarrelsome versus peace-loving. is like, look, I'll enter it. I'm going to say some hard things. I'm going to be as gentle as I can, but I'm going to say the hard things. Why? Because our relationship isn't whole. And I want to make peace with you. I want to enter into wholeness with you. So I'm going to say the hard thing and I'll be as gentle as I can. And then I invite you, if you'll do that with me and we do that in humility, guess what starts happening? You enter into peace. You enter into wholeness. And, and that's the kind of person we're supposed to be. Peace loving, not passive, not, you know, always running away from conflict, but rather entering into confrontations at time for the purpose of bettering the relationship. That's what peace-loving is, and that's what he's calling us to. Then he says, we're to be considerate. If you're going to be considerate, that, that speaks to how aware you are of other people. How aware you are of other people. See, envy makes you talk to you a whole lot about you. That's what envy is. It's just like me and me and, and I want and maybe and me and me. It's just me, me, me. And that's, that's the opposite of consi being considerate because being considerate is when you start being aware of the other people. Envy's all in here and considerate, being considerate finally points the finger elsewhere. 
And so much of the plateau of your maturity as a Christian can happen if you just stay inside of here. It's one of the reasons why our, our four values is, one of them is, is to serve. You know why that's there? Is because I can't get you to grow as a Christ follower if it's all inward. Part of what you have to do to grow and really unlock what it's like, what it's like to be a Christian and to live for Jesus is to look outward. And, and that's what he's talking about here when you're considerate. You know, um, the person I most look up to in this category is, is actually my wife, Christina. Um, I think Christina is one of the most considerate people that I've, I've ever met. And, and if you guys know her, you know this is true. It's any, any circle where there's like, there could be 20 people in the room. And she's just aware of so many things that I am not aware of. And she'll bring up, well, did you think about this? Or what about this that's going on with them? And I'm like, how in the world do you even know that? And it's because really it's, it's God's gift to the world through her that she's exercising this ability of being considerate. And, and, and we, as a group, even here at Young Adults, like we're blessed because of that. And, and she's calling us into what you can have to. Wisdom from above is, are you aware of people? Can you be in a room and like miss it all together? And the only way you miss it, the only times I miss it is when I'm all in here. I'm not looking out. I'm all inside my head or inside my own heart. And we're, we're called to look and be aware of others. Then he talks about being submissive. Um, submissive is kind of a hard word even today in English to understand what he's getting at. I, I'll translate it for you as like a much simpler way of understanding here today is someone who's easy to lead. A submissive person is a person who understands, okay, I have an authority and, and I, I can honor that person who's leading me. They have a position of authority over my life. It could be anything. If you're a child, it's your parent. If you're, um, you know, if you're an employee, it's your boss. It, you know, any of the authorities that you have in your life, you should be someone who's easy to lead. And when you're, when you're someone who's easy to lead it's, it, lead, it's pretty quick. You can figure it out pretty quick. Um, one way is how do you receive feedback? And so if, if someone who's in authority over you, they give you some input and like, man, I think, I think you could grow in this area. If you just like the claws come out, that's not a great sign. Um, someone who's living in the wisdom that comes from above is someone who's like, okay, look, that's hard to hear, but I'm going to think about it. I'm going to try to process that. I'm going to try to receive it, even though it's hard to hear. And sometimes you have to receive it when it's not packaged right. And sometimes you have to receive it when it wasn't fair that you had to receive it. But the person who has wisdom from above isn't so concerned with the manner in which the feedback showed up. They're just seeking to grow. They're, 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 they want to be easy to be led. It's also someone who, who brings questions, not accusations. Um, it, it's, you approach things where you're like, man, honestly, I don't get that. Can you help me understand that? That's so different than like, you are a terrible person. <laughs> and I have to tell you why you're a terrible person. And, and this is not the way we should be dealing with the people who are in authority over us. We should, we should bring questions and, and seek clarity, but in humility. And that's submission. And the, the word you can think about with submissive is honor. Are you honoring those who are leading you in whatever capacity they are? And, and it could be like full-blown roles like I just talked about. But it could also be as small as interactions inside of friendships. That's like, well, there's this one person in our group who's just like, gosh, it always has to be their idea, whatever we're going to do, because if not, it just doesn't happen. That's not a good sign. 
It should be okay that sometimes you can just come along for the ride. <laughs> you don't have to be the driver all the time. And, and one of the signs of godly wisdom is that you're easy to lead. You're submissive. Last few, and then, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. Um, the next one is full of mercy and good fruit. When you're full of mercy, you're, just, you're not quick to bring judgment. There is a trend that has increased in the last five years, specifically with this generation, where it's becoming more and more acceptable to be the person where it's like, hey, someone did something bad, let's go get them right now. <laughs> let's tweet, let's post, let's, uh, let's whatever we can do instantly to just go get them. And what, what the book of James is teaching us is like, we actually should be full of mercy. So even when someone does do something wrong, your initial reaction is not to seek to bring judgment. The person who's full of mercy understands that they're not the executor of God's judgment. They're the person who's received the grace of God himself. And so when you see someone who did something wrong, at first, you should be broken over it too. And you should grieve and you're like, oh gosh, that's not, that's not good for them. That's not good for who they hurt. Like there's a grief process that goes through that. And then because you're full of mercy, you desire to understand it better. You have, you want to ask questions. And if God's put you in a space around someone who's making bad decisions, the person who's full of mercy says, look, I've been there. Like I've made bad choices too. I'm not here to talk to you as if I'm just like the perfect person. No. Is there anything else like that I could ask questions to see how mercy could triumph over judgment here in this space? What are the things that could happen where, where God would get the glory? And that's the person who's full of mer mercy and good fruit. Then he says that they're impartial. And that one's really straightforward. It's just treating people fairly. Um, treating people fairly. And I, I want you guys to think about inside any of the friend groups that you have. And, and you might have multiple, but there's just always a tendency for um, maybe you'll connect with one person more than the other and then, you know, we, I'll, I'll use a simple example. It's like, oh, then we want to say, like, happy birthday to someone. And it could be as simple as on a text trend. But the person who's impartial is, like, aware of the fact that there's other people around here. And so if you're going to celebrate a birthday, well, then fairness would say, well, then let's celebrate everyone's birthday when it comes around. And not just me, you know, kind of connecting with this person. So I'm just going to be partial towards this person. See, in the family of God, like, because we're considerate, that's what helps us be impartial is we want to treat each other as fairly as possible um, in the kingdom of God. And then finally, he says this, that it's, that it's sincere. It's sincere. It's, it's as honest as honest can get. Here's the thing about wisdom from above. It will, it will help clear up some of the things that are really hard to understand about life. Because we, um, we all kind of play games with each other, naturally, Here's what happens. You might put up a facade. I might put up a facade. And we try to present the best version of ourselves or what we think would be the best version. Those are kind of the games we play with each other. And then the sad truth is we also play games with ourselves. Like, we kind of get stuck in these games. Of, Wait, like, who am I, though? Like, because you play all these games and you're like, I actually, have, I've lost the sense of who Eddie is in the middle of that. Here's one of the most awesome things about the wisdom that comes from God. When you align yourself with that, it shows you who you are. It's as honest as honest can get. And it's one of, the, one of the ways that God says, look, I don't want any of those fake versions. I'm really, really happy that I made you. I'm really, really, really happy. I don't need you to turn into a, a different person. I just want you to align with me. And, and if you can come have that relationship, 
with me, you'll actually find out who you are in the process. And that's, that's the wisdom from above. It's sincere. It's just really honest with you. And all those things are the things that God wants you and me stepping into as we, as we say no to the other things. And like I said, what it leads to is if we align with this wisdom, we will enter into peace. And as we enter into peace and rest in God, that will have a harvest of righteousness. We'll, we'll get to experience that cycle that we talked about. So here's what we're going to do with the few minutes we have left. I want us to, we're going to spend just a few seconds and we're going to, we're going to do some deep breathing. And here's why. God made us um, as human beings with bodies and you were made to breathe. This isn't like some Eastern mysticism, what I'm bringing to you guys. This is as human as it gets. When you don't breathe the way God made you, then you're telling your, yourself that I am in chaos. So when you shorten your breath, that's like what you have to do to run away and you have to breathe faster. And you weren't made to live in that state always. So if you stay in the, in the space of short breath and let that be symbolic of your life, if you stay in that space, that's what I'm talking about. That's not peace. And so we're, we're just going to breathe in and out here in a second. Why? To allow our bodies to enter wholeness and say, this is actually how I was made to, 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 to live and to exist. It's so I love how psychology is teaching us more and more of just how important it is that God made us to breathe. And if, if, if um, people go through trauma, you know the first place it shows up is actually in their lungs just fascinating to me how many things in trauma in life are connected to their lungs, breathing, asthma, you know, all sorts of complications, weight, because you're not, that's a symbol of what's happening in your heart, is you can't breathe, you can't rest. So I just thought as a simple way to exercise that here tonight, we're going to just do, do some deep breathing. I'm going to ask you some questions about what is God doing tonight. We'll just pray through that. And then we'll worship the Lord, and that'll, that'll be it for tonight. So why don't you go ahead and just close your eyes. <clears throat> and try to just stay as still as you can so that nothing else is distracting you. Now take a deep breath in and slowly release that. Now find your pace, and then just keep breathing slowly. As you continue breathing, I want you to think about the things God's inviting you to exhale. God wants you to release envy and selfish ambition. So as we were talking about that here tonight, did the Holy Spirit bring up any area of your life where that seems to be what you're following? And remember, if that's the case, that's God's grace to you. That's not his condemnation. So if there's anything that you're like, man, I have been envious there or I think I am driven by selfish ambition in this area of my life. Just pick one of these times where you're exhaling and just envision yourself exhaling that, releasing that envy. And that's your way of praying that to God. Say, I'm releasing this. I don't want this anymore. I want this out. And then in the same way, we're going to use our inhale to represent what are the things that God wants you to receive. Do you need to step into being peace-loving, 
considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, or sincere? Just pick one of those. Which one stood out to you? What's the thing God's trying to speak to you tonight? And then you enter into agreement with him and say, yes, Lord, I want to receive that by just inhaling. And you say, I'm, I'm breathing in sincerity. I'm, I'm breathing in loving peace. I'm breathing in impartiality, whatever it is that God's trying to speak to you. Father, I thank you for the, the word that you have spoken to all of us here in this room. We need your peace, Jesus. We need to experience what it is to be whole in you. We are not complete unless we're in relationship with you. But Lord, I just I want to pray for rest for my brothers and sisters in the room. I just feel like there's there's a lot of us who We've been driving hard. There's a lot going on in our lives. I don't know everyone's story, but God, I just pray that through, through peace, they would find rest in you. And so help us to know what's the next step. What do I need to do? What do I need, what do I need to breathe in to step and align myself with wisdom from above? Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus worship team is going to sing a song here and, and you can join them uh, if you want to kneel, if you want to keep praying, or if you just want to stand and sing. This is a free space. Um, let's just spend a few more minutes here in the Lord's presence before we head out our own way. We'll have you guys be